Hello, church family. Pastor Dan here. I'm so sorry that I could not be with you today as Lori and I have been on vacation this past week. However, I will be back in the office on Tuesday and, of course, we'll be back in the pulpit next Sunday, Lord willing. However, today we do have a special treat as Jeff A. Bear will be uh, preaching this morning. Jeff is one of our members and he has been a pastor in the past, uh, even planting a church up in Portland, Maine, and he has much preaching experience. Jeff is one of our newest members and I so look forward to hearing the sermon when I get back, but I know you all will be blessed today by Jeff's ministry to you. So open up your Bibles and get ready to hear the Word of God. Welcome Jeff now to the pulpit. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad to be here with you all today. If there's anybody here that is visiting, welcome. We are glad that you are here as well. Um, Many of you are probably surprised that I am standing up here this morning, and that's okay. Um, I look forward to just being able to open God's Word to you this morning. And my prayer, as it's been over the past two weeks, is that God will speak through his word this morning and that he will speak to your hearts. And I pray that you'll be changed through my message today and through this worship service this morning. Um, As the video says, I am not the pastor of this church. Um, Brother Dan is the pastor of this church, and he is such a a wonderful man. You are, we are all so blessed to have him as a pastor. He loves, truly loves the Lord, and he truly loves us all. You know, he really puts his heart into serving you, and I do truly appreciate him. So uh, hopefully I can do justice to him as a, as a man, as a, God, a man who loves God and loves his people. So today I will be preaching a message from 1 Peter. Um, and it will be revolved, revolving around the first several chapters of First Peter, and we will be um, diving in a little bit into John 17, which was um, we, which we recited this morning, and it was such a, a, a beautiful prayer. It's a it's a prayer of Jesus, and one that we we should model after. Um, so, <clears throat> my message, as I said will be around the first five chapters, Um, and the primary theme of my message will be sojourners, that we are sojourners, that we are aliens, exiles in a land that is no longer ours, and hopefully we can look through the scriptures here and find some encouragement and some hope in the life that we live here in this world with all the craziness that's going around. Um, now, this epistle of, of Peter is often referred to as a general epistle, meaning that it's not written to any specific church. It's written to the church as a whole, and we'll see why here in a minute. Um, so without any further ado, let's open our Bibles, and let's look at 1 Peter, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to start there. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who are chosen. The first thing I'd like to point out, and it's the topic of my message this morning, is this word 
aliens, who reside as aliens. That's the NASB. The ESV reads this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. The Greek word translated as aliens and exiles is the same word that can also be translated as sojourners, which Peter uses in 1 Peter uh, verses 11 in the ESV. And its primary definition, as you probably are well aware of, is a sojourner is a stranger who resides in a foreign country or land, right? Some of you here reside in this country, but it wasn't your country where you were born or you lived prior to. So if you hear me using aliens or exiles or sojourners, it's okay because they are interchangeable in my message here today. Now, based on the first verse, I think it's safe to say that Peter is writing to a people group that is away from where they're from, from the place where they call home. Now, that doesn't mean that they're away on vacation and they're just enjoying some fun in the sun. They're away for a specific reason, and we're going to look at that, and we're going to look at two reasons as to why they were considered to be exiles or aliens and sojourners in a foreign land. Now, when I say aliens, for all you young people, I'm not referring to green, big-headed people with big bubbly eyes, okay? (laughs) I'm referring to people that are out of place, that don't belong where they're at naturally. So, first, they are considered to be aliens physically. So, like the recipients of the epistle James, these were persecuted Christians who had fled from their homes around the areas of Jerusalem and even Rome. Many of them were Jewish converts, and there were also others, other Gentiles who were were believing in in, in Christ. Uh, They were experiencing an ever-increasing persecution at the hands of the Jewish leadership. And 30 years or so, this persecution spread into Rome itself. And we'll hear a little bit about that here today. Now, there are seven specific instances of persecution recorded in the New Testament. Most notably, Stephen, who is considered to be the first martyr for his Christian faith, and of course, James. Luke records the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through chapter 8, verse 1. And it is is also in this account that we first are introduced to the person of Saul, who we all know later becomes Paul. Paul. Now, Stephen was a man, as the scripture says, who was full of grace and power. He was full of the Holy Spirit, and he boldly proclaimed Christ, which made the Jewish leaders so angry that they stirred up a crowd, they conspired a plot against him, and in the end, ending up stoning him to death as he was preaching the word. Now, this opened up the floodgates of persecution in that day. If we were to read Acts 8, verse 1, we see, Now Saul was consenting to his death. So Paul, or Saul, was giving hearty approval to the stoning of Stephen. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now the believers in Christ were scattering. And the apostles did not. They were staying in the area because they had a mission that they were on. And we know that not long after this, Paul was given authority by the Jewish leaders to track down Christians, not just in Jerusalem, 
but in these same surrounding areas. He had the authority to arrest them, drag them from their homes, and drag them back to Jerusalem. Also, in Acts, we find the martyrdom of James. Uh, This was James, the brother of John, and he was executed by Herod. In Acts 12, 1 through 2, we see that now about, time, now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now, if you continue in reading that, you'll see that after Herod killed James, it pleased the Jewish people around him. They were very happy and excited. So because of that, Peter had, I mean, excuse me, Herod had Peter arrested with the very intention of putting him to death as well. Now, as many of you know, if you're familiar with the account given in Acts, that the Lord, in a miraculous way, freed him from the prison. And what did, Jesus, what did Peter do? He went and he continued to preach with boldness. And that's something that we need to really remember in our lives as well. Now, as time went on, not only were they being persecuted by the Jews, Jewish people in leadership, now much of the unbelieving world was jumping on that ship as well. History records that around the time, and most likely a little bit after Peter had written this epistle, there was a persecution rising up in Rome at the hands of the Emperor Nero. Many of you are probably familiar with the name of Emperor Nero. Like King Nebuchadnezzar, Nero was a self-absorbed, egotistical, prideful emperor who had a selfish ambition to build Rome in his image. Not much, not much unlike Nebuchadnezzar, who had the, built this big statue in honor of himself. <clears throat> in order for this to be possible, he needed lots of space, which was a very big problem because there wasn't any. There was no room for him to do what he wanted to do. So Nero, in all his wisdom and genius devised a plan and secretly ordered a section of Rome to be set on fire. And to make the story short, the fire got way out of hand and burned two-thirds of Rome, which did not make anyone happy. So Nero now created another big problem. The people were not happy with him. So he needed to fix this in a hurry. So what did he do? In order to cover up his tracks... He turned and blamed it on the Christians and said that they were the ones responsible for the fire in Rome. And of course, from there, that really opened the floodgates to the most heinous attacks placed on Christians. Brutality that you can only imagine. And it created quite another stir of people fleeing for their lives. Shortly after this, Christianity was actually banned in the empire. As a little side note to this, there's a connection here between 1 Peter and the book of Daniel, which Pastor Dan is preaching through. Um, And that is that Peter wrote this letter in Babylon. And we see that in chapter 5, verse 13, where he says that... um, that he wrote it in Babylon. Now, this is not the literal Babylon. He wasn't in the land of Babylon. But Peter called, symbolically, he called Rome Babylon. And he had very good reason to do so. And I don't think that was a coincidence. So, um, 
just a little tidbit of information to kind of tie in with what Pastor Dan's preaching. So now Peter knew what uh, persecution was. He fully understood because he was persecuted himself, and ultimately in the end, he was um, executed for his faith in Christ as well. But he understood what Christians were going through. He understood what the people who he was writing this epistle to were suffering. And as a, an apostle, a pastor, and a shepherd, he had compassion and he loved them. So he encouraged them. He wrote this letter to encourage those who are suffering. Have you ever been in a strange land before? Have you ever been in a country that is not yours, where there's a different language, a different culture, um, a different faith of base or a different religion? Have you ever been to one of those where you, you just feel out of place, right? It almost feels like people are looking at you or they're unsure about you. Well, that's a reality in, in our life and in experiences. Maybe you're in public school or you're in school and your parents and your family moves to another state and now you have to start up in a new school. You're now in a, new, in a strange environment with strange people all around you and you feel out of place. You almost feel like you don't belong there. Well, that was, that's what was going on with the Christians of that day. They were in a land that was not theirs and the people around them knew that there were different culture there was a different culture different languages and as you know there were many different forms of worship to other beings or other false gods besides the true god christ jesus so there's a lot of things going around on them they lost their homes they lost their jobs and friends and loved ones families were divided because of their faith in jesus christ and it might be true for some of us here today. Number two, they were aliens spiritually. They were aliens spiritually. The reason they were being persecuted wasn't because of who they were. It wasn't because of their skin color or how they spoke or how they looked at all. Um, that may be true in some instances throughout our history, but it wasn't here. This was about their new faith in Christ. Their new faith in Christ. If they simply would have denied Christ, nothing would have changed. Everything would have just stayed the same as it always was. They would be doing the same things that they always did. However, praise the Lord, they did not deny Christ. And they left the faith that was in the promise of a coming Savior for a faith that is in the Savior who has already come. And this was a big deal. This was a very, very big deal. To leave a faith of multiple generations of family was a very big deal. And it was not received well. A family's faith, heritage, traditions, and honor were revered above all else. You know, in a lot of countries... Um, Family is revered, right? You didn't go against what, what the father, the, the head of the household, the, the patriarch of the family said or did. It was almost to a point where there was a fear in the other family members and the children. They were, they were afraid to, to go against something that their father had said. Well, that's what, that's what was happening here. And because of that, they were kicked out of families. They were shunned by their families. So now not only are they losing their homes, 
They're not losing, and losing the, the country that they love, they're also losing family. You know, it's, it's okay to lose a job. I know it's difficult at times, but losing family is never easy, especially when they're people that you love so much. Another example might be for some of us who were brought up Catholic, have come out of a Catholic family, raised Catholic, devout Roman Catholics, right? And you, you, you grow up and you start a family and you hear about Christ, you give your life to, in faith in, in, to Christ Jesus, right? And you, you tell your, your, your parents or your family, well, you know, I, I'm now a, now I'm a, a, a Christian now who, who believes in Christ Jesus. I'm no longer Catholic. And they're going, what do you mean you're no longer Catholic? You're always going to be Catholic. You're born Catholic. Well, that's not the case, right? And they get offended. You know, I've been in that boat myself. It's like, what do you mean you're not Catholic anymore? I, I love Jesus now. And that's a hard thing. It's not that they don't love Jesus. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that they have left the faith that they have always been part of, that the family has always been part of. Your grandmother's been, been Catholic. Your, your great-grandparents have been Catholic. And it's just something that is a tradition. That's what was going on here. And you can kind of get the sense of what it was like if, if you've ever been in that position. <clears throat> now, Peter, through his time spent with Jesus and by his own experiences, knows that this is just the beginning of their suffering. This is just the beginning of the things that they're going to go through and that they're going to continue to suffer various forms of persecution throughout their time on earth. It will be a life of ups and downs. And as we know, who here hasn't experienced that already, right? Life is full of ups and downs. It's got highs and lows, joys. It's got sorrows and pains. But that's the life that God has given us for the purpose of bringing glory to him. Right? He sanctifies us and matures us through the things in our life that we, that we struggle with. And he also matures us in the things that we find great joy in. God is good that way. Now, we are promised an abundant life in this world, but it is not our best life now. Our best life will come when we're forever in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Amen? That will be our best life. Now, knowing this, Peter gives them some hope. He gives them encouragement in the things that never change. God and our new position in Christ. Even though they may now be aliens in this world that they once knew, they are no longer aliens to God. And if you trust in Christ Jesus as your Savior, you are no longer an alien to God. And you are now part of His family And as such, he promises that he will never reject you. He will never cast you out. You will never be removed from his family. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2.13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus you were once far off, but have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, regardless of where they were at and whatever they may have been going through, they belong to God. And if you believe and trust in Christ, so do you. And we can be sure of this because we've done this ourselves? No, because it was all done by God through Jesus. He did it all. And if you look at 1 Peter Again, I am going to read the next several 
verses. And you can follow along with me if you will. And hopefully you all have a Bible. Um, I'm one of those people that love to have a Bible instead of using my phone. Um, there's just something about the feel of a Bible, the pages, and I don't know, just, I think it makes you closer to God's Word. So I'm going to start in verse 1 and just read down through verse 7. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. Here it is. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled. It will not fade away, reserved for you and me and any of you who are saved. It's reserved for you in heaven who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. That the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." There is no greater sense of hope than can be found in Christ Jesus. And we can be sure that regardless of what happens in our lives here on earth, Christ is always with us and his hands upon us. And he protects us, as we can see here. And that's what Peter is instructing these people. It's easy to lose faith. It's easy to have doubts. It's easy to, 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 to get down on yourself. I understand that. I've been there before. And I'm sure many of you have as well. But there's no greater joy in knowing that this is just for a time. This is just for a season. God is with us in even those darkest moments. And he's drawing us and he's moving us and he's shaping us and he's turning us and bringing us to where he wants us to be. Hopefully you can find strength and comfort in that in your deepest trials. I can't help but uh, Peter think that Peter remembered the words of Jesus' prayer and the words that he spoke that we read about in, in John chapters 15, 16, and 17. And we read part of the, the prayer this morning. Thank you, Brother Randall, for reading that. That was a beautiful time. Um, so uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all that anymore, but I'm going to point out some of the, the, the scripture references that I think are, are pertinent here. So beginning in John 15, chapter, uh, verses 8 and 19, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, world but I chose you out of the world, because of this, of this the world hates you. John 17, 14, and 15. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Here's the hand of God protecting us and keeping us from the evil one. And lastly, 
verses 20 through 21. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, this is pertinent, but for those who also believe in me through their word. This is for us. This is a prayer for us that Jesus prayed almost 2,000 years ago. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So Jesus here is telling us in his prayer that we are united in one God. We are united with Christ as one. We are no longer a group of people randomly about, scattered abroad, but he has brought us together spiritually as one body in Christ Jesus. We are his, and we are one together. His prayer is an intercessory prayer, right? We know that Jesus is our, he intercedes for us with the Father, and we see an example of that right here. I would probably consider this to be the Lord's prayer. Now, I know that we know the Lord's Prayer is referred to when the, the apostles asked Jesus to teach him how to pray, and he recited the Lord's Prayer. And, but the thing is, with that prayer, that was not Jesus' prayer. That was a prayer that he taught us for ourselves, because Jesus didn't have sin. He didn't need to ask for forgiveness for sins, right? But here we have this perfect prayer from Jesus, where first he goes before God, and he's proclaiming his relationship between God and himself, and then he goes in the second part of his prayer, and now he's interceding for the saints, for his disciples, the people who he loved so much. He's interceding for God to cover these, his, his brothers, his, the people that he loves, and to assure that they would be protected in this life and to bless them even though they are in this world, they are not of this world. And he goes on to say that I didn't ask for you, I'm not asking for you to take them out of this world but to be with them while they're in this world. Amen? So he is with us here today. Now, as fellow believers, we can apply this because we have become aliens. You are an alien. I am an alien. Um, Why? Because, as Jesus prayed, we are no longer of this world. We once were. I once was. But we're not anymore. This is not our home. We may live here. We may enjoy the things here, but those are just for a moment, a fleeting moment. There's going to come a day when that all comes to an end. Some sooner than others. But someday, Christ is going to come, and it's, everything's going to be gone. Right? So all this stuff that we treasure now is worthless. It's worthless now, really, but it's going to be even more worthless then. So he intercedes from us. He, tells us, he asks the Father to keep us from the evil one to be sanctified in the truth of his word, right? He prays that we would be sanctified in the truth of his world as we are sent into the world. That's important because he doesn't shelter us. He protects us and he covers us as he sends us. As he sends us. Jesus said we are still in the world but no longer of the world. And this is how we should view things in our lives. Now, I don't know if you've been paying attention to some of the things going on outside of this church in the world. Um, it's, not def- it's definitely not the home where, that I've ever wanted, and it's definitely not the home that I'm dreaming of, for sure. 
I'm dreaming of that home in heaven that God has prepared for all who believe. Excuse me. Now, just like living in a strange land, like the recipients of Peter's letter, we should feel the same way. We should feel kind of out of sorts. We should feel like we don't belong. Um, We have a culture that has changed so drastically. We have things going on that go so far against what we truly believe in. This should make us very, very distraught. We should feel even more alienated with the huge moral decline and the rise of homosexuality, transgenderism, gender identity, gender non-identity, LGBTQR2D2 plus minus. I just, I just lose, I'm, you know, you lose sight. We're running out of letters. Abortion, murders, corruption, idolatry, and so forth. No, I don't say these things because to make fun of the sin, because it is sin. And it's, it's very sad. And we should have compassion. We shouldn't have anger. We shouldn't throw up our hands and hate these people. They need Christ, just like we need Christ, just like I need Christ. They need Christ. And how are they going to hear it? How are they going to know or hear about Christ if nobody tells them, nobody shares it with them? The fact of the matter, the people of this world who love this world love all the things that this world has to offer. All its pursuits of the flesh, greed, sexual immorality, selfishness, covetousness, Drunkenness, deceitfulness, foul-mouthed, blasphemous, calling that which is good evil and that which is evil good, hating the things of God. The list goes on and on. All you have to do is step out your front door and you're going to see this. You're going to experience it. Go to the mall, go to the store, go to the office, the workplace. It's everywhere around us. These are the actions and lifestyles of those who are of this world. And if we're okay with any of this, if we're okay and accept any of this as part of our life and into our life, we really need to take the time and examine ourselves to see if we're truly in the faith. Because we cannot love sin and love God. And when we accept sin in this world, we are approving of it. And it's sin for us. As chosen believers, these things should not feel normal. They shouldn't. In any way, any shape, any form, it should not make us feel normal. And quite frankly, it should creep us out. We should feel like aliens. We should be creeped out. And like I said, it doesn't mean that we hide away or run from them, but we need to be gospel bearers. In Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 21, Paul also writes this, If indeed indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, 
which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Paul also writes in Romans 12, and do not be conformed to the image of this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is what we must do as Christians, as believers in Christ Jesus. We must allow ourselves to be conformed to Christ Jesus, not this world. To be transformed into Jesus-loving, word-loving, truth-loving, gospel-speaking people. Paul goes on in verses 9 through 29, and he describes the mark of what a true Christian is. And as I read these, I want us to take a look at that and think about everything that I read here and examine ourselves and see, are these things truly found in me? Or are these just something that you would hang on your wall because it's a, it's a nice scripture verse, it looks good on my wall. But do you truly believe and in, 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 in the, are these things truly part of who you are? Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. We are to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So these very people that we get so upset with and angry with, we're not supposed to curse them and get mad at them and point our finger at them. We're supposed to love them. And the best way to love people who don't have Christ is to show them Christ. And it needs to be more than just words. It needs to be in how we live, how we interact with people, how we talk with them. That's how we show the love of Christ, more than words, but in our actions. We need to rejoice with those who rejoice. We need to weep with those who weep. We need to be of the same mind towards one another. Not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in our own estimation. Right? Be of the same mind towards one another. Here's that unity in Christ. Right? We are unified as one body. We need to be unified in mind as well, that we are one with another. We should never pay back evil for evil to anyone. We should respect what is right in the sight of all men. Now, respect here does not, necess- does not mean that we need to accept Okay, there's a difference here. We don't need to accept. We do need to respect. And the best way to show respect is to talk to people in a loving, kind way, speaking truth. Unapologetically, but speaking truth. Um, never pay back evil for never pay back evil for evil to anyone. I already read that, I'm sorry. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Amen. But if your enemy is hungry, what should we do? It says that we should feed him. If he's thirsty, 
Give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. The best way to fight evil, the best way to fight the devil is with good. This is how we are to live. This is how I'm supposed to live. Now, if we're all honest with ourselves, we all fall short of this, I'm sure, many times. We all do. But we as Christians should have a life of repentance as well. Repentance just doesn't end when you come to a saving faith in Christ. Repentance is a part of who we are as Christians. When we sin, we need to repent. We need to ask forgiveness. If we offend a brother or sister, we need to go to them and ask for forgiveness. We need to pray for one another. That's how the Christian life should be. Now, I'm not saying that we don't do that because I know that we all do. Every one of you, I've, I've got to at least meet and shake your hand maybe once. And I know that we all truly have a heart for God and we want to see God's name glorified in the lives that we live. But there are times that we just need to search ourselves and make sure that we are not stumbling down this road which leads to the world. So, like Paul, Peter continues his letter in the same fashion, right? He encourages believers to be strong in the Lord. If you read 1 Peter, you'll see these things. To persevere through difficult trials. Live a life of holiness regardless of our situation or where we are. Love one another. Here we go. Love our spouses. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. For that brings pleasure to God. We are to conduct ourselves. He shows us how to conduct ourselves in suffering. Because there is a way we need to conduct ourselves in suffering. Right? We can't walk around and go, oh, woe is me, poor me, everything always happens to me, nothing's ever gonna, good going to happen to me. That's not how we're supposed to deal with things. We are supposed to turn to Christ. We're supposed to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and turn to him. And he will deliver us. Maybe not in the way that we necessarily want, but, Christ, or, but God is perfect. Christ is as well. And he knows what is perfect for us. Amen? And that's what he's going to give us. And we need not to worry about what other people are going to say. We don't have to worry about people persecuting us, calling us names. Uh, I mean, those are so trivial. It's, it's incredible. Peter writes in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 13, as part of his encouragement, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? If you do good things, who's going to harm you? Even sinful people, even unbelievers do, essentially do good things. The reasonings for do them might be a little backwards, but... They do do good things. They're not going to criticize you for it. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready, here it is, to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you. And we must do it in gentleness in reverence. Keep a good conscience 
so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame, heaping burning coals on their head. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing right rather than for what is doing wrong. We can't compound a wrong with another wrong. All right? That just makes matters worse. And if someone is, 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 is coming after you or tormenting you or calling you, whatever it is, we don't need to lash back out at them. right? Because now we're just jumping into the same boat that they're in. And their boat has a big hole in it. And I don't want to be in that boat. And you shouldn't want to be in that boat as well. Now, in this country, we know that there is some types of persecution in this country. Um, Not along the lines of what we see in our Bibles, what we read, and what um, the people in Peter's day were suffering through. Um, So we don't really have the ability to kind of understand and experience fully some of the things that they were going through with regards to fearing for their lives. But some of you might be here from another country that is not so friendly towards Christians. Um, Countries like China, North Korea, many uh, Middle Eastern countries, uh, Christians are treated harshly. They're treated as low-class, second-rate people, maybe not even as human beings. They're killed, and they have no place to flee. They have no place to go. They're where they're at. As you know, here in America, many people come to this country. They flee here, some for good reasons, some maybe not so good. But there is an understanding in the world that America is still a safe place. It's still a safe place to be a Christian. It's a safe place to be of any religion, to be honest with you. Safer for those more so than Christianity, but it is still safe here today. And in, you know, it is one of the few places in this, in this world, but it's changing. There is an ever-changing landscape going on in this country, and it's not good, and it's not pretty. It's not planting a tree in your yard and putting some rocks around it and looking good. It's, 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 it's not good at all. We're seeing an increase in hatred towards those who profess Christ, those who speak openly about Christ Jesus. It's on the increase. And there's a hatred towards Christians. And at the rate of this increase, this increase of open rebellion towards God, because that's what it is. It's an open rebellion towards God. It's people shaking their fists at God and saying, what are you going to do? That's coming. It's happening. And it's just a matter of time when this country isn't even going to be safe. I don't know if you've ever been persecuted for your faith in any way, shape, or form, but my wife and I have been involved in street ministry um, for 20-plus years, um, heavily involved in the abortion ministry, to the, not just speaking out against it, but actually being there on the battlefield, being there at the abortion clinics, pleading with women to not kill their babies, pleading with fathers to man up and be the man that they're supposed to be and defend their child and not allow the abortion to happen. 
But we do it through the gospel, preaching that Jesus can save them from their sin and that if they would put their faith and trust in Jesus, they don't have to worry about what's going to happen in the future, what's going to happen with their child, because God will care for them. We offer help. We offer assistance. But you think something like that, which sounds so nice and pleasant, wow, these are nice people. They're offering help. They want to help these people. But the hatred and the stuff that spews from the mouth of people, you would not, even, you would want, not want your kids to hear. There is throwing things. There is stealing the signs that we hold, cursing, cursing God, screaming and hollering. Businessmen in suits literally walk down the sidewalk where you are. They have nothing to do with what's going on. And they'll turn. They'll get in your face. They'll scream at you and yell at you. You have no right doing this. It's an amazing thing. But it's out there. And it's coming. In a book written by John MacArthur, it's titled The Book on Leadership, he writes this. Being misrepresented, slandered, reviled, persecuted, and wrongfully accursed, wrongfully accused is an inevitable part of being a Christian. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. We must expect to suffer unjustly. Our lives confront the culture we live in. We live as aliens in the world. It should not surprise us when the world is hostile towards us. We were called for that purpose. In this world, we will have tribulation. It goes with the territory. We were called for this. I believe that God is passing judgment on this nation. This nation which has been so blessed by him. So blessed by him. And yet, we've turned our backs against this God And unless this nation repents and turns its face back towards God, these things are only going to get worse. There is much work to do. There is much work to do. Remember, Jesus didn't pray and say, Father, please remove them from this world and save them from all these struggles and trials. He said, and prayed, protect them as they are sent into the world, and I will make my name known. We're not to close the doors, batten down the hatches like a hurricane's coming, and just try to survive until the end. You know, it's easy to say, oh, Lord Jesus, please come. I can't wait for that day. But we're not supposed to wait. We're not supposed to wait. We're to thrive as Christians in our faith. We're to thrive and revive this land through the gospel of Jesus Christ until he comes, until he comes. We, as believers in Christ, chosen by God, not by random chance, he specifically chose each individual here who is his for his purpose and for his plan.
and his plan is to be glorified. We as believers have become aliens, and we are sojourning in a foreign land. And as we journey towards the eternal promised land of heaven to our new home that awaits us, and on that journey, God calls us to action. See, he instructs us in his word to go into all the world preaching the gospel and making disciples. He instructs us to run the race that is set before us. Stop me when one of these words is wait or sit down, take a break, relax. Run with endurance. Be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We are to put on the full armor of God. Many people are familiar with Ephesians 6 and the full armor of God. The sword and shield are not only to engage, but they're also to defend as well. We need to be able to defend the gospel at any cost, to stand up regardless of the consequences and be bold for the truth of God's word. We need to be ready to make that defense. And there's so many more in Scripture. So many more. Gird yourself. Prepare your mind. It's a high calling to be a Christian. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. I have it here, so I'm good, and we just enjoy life here. We are. God wants us to enjoy our life here. He created a beautiful world. He called it wonderful. He called it beautiful. He called it very good. Now, sin has tinted, tainted the world as we know it. But there is beauty in this world that God wants us to enjoy. He wants us to be happy and joyful and to experience all that he is because that brings him glory as well. But we also need to stand up and defend our faith. The scriptures tell us that we are ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? Right? Someone who represents a company, an organization, or a group. In this case, we are ambassadors of Christ. We are his spokespeople here on earth. We need to stand up for that faith. In, Christian, in, Peter, in Peter's day, the Christians there, they did. They did, and it cost them greatly. You know, in the persecution of Rome, they would literally tie Christians to poles, soak them in oil, and burn them alive to light the pathways and roadways. They were suffering things that we've never experienced before. But they did not deny their faith at all. And we must not deny our faith either. We need to ask ourselves, what will I give for the cause of Christ? That's only a question that you can answer. I can only answer it for myself. But what's important is, to answer that question, but also do 
what your answer is. The call is for us to go to, to be active in our faith. And I'm not saying we need to go out into the streets and highways and byways and, and preach the gospel, although that is important and some are called to do that. But each of us as, as individuals have people in our lives that need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the truth. And we need to understand that if they do not put their faith in Christ, there's a wall at the end of their ride that's not going to be comfortable. So let's be warriors for Christ. Let's be ambassadors for Christ. And let's go into this world, not hide away, but proclaim the truth boldly, unapologetically, with compassion, with love, and mercy in our hearts. Because that's what God has called us to do. Now, I know that I may have gone long. I've never preached before a clock before. Um, so maybe I haven't gone. You're used to it, huh? <laughs> that's good, because you know, clocks can be intimidating to me, because the, some of you who know me know that I like to ramble on a little bit, and I don't want to ramble on. I want to be, uh, you know, honoring to you all as well. But um, I want to close in this, and um, it's something that has been on my heart. I mean, it should be on all of our hearts as well. Um, Lost my place here. You know, I was supposed to preach with my laptop here today, but... I find myself shuffling through the papers instead. I must be more comfortable. I don't, I'd like to see Dan do that, Pastor Dan. <laughs> um, just give me a second to get my bearings here. You don't want me to turn on my computer because then everything's going to get out of control. And I will get there in a minute. Um, so... What I'm going to say now and talk with you about is far more important than anything that I've said. I mean, what I've said is important and it's essential for the lives of every believer. But compared to this, that stuff doesn't matter. Because if you're not a Christian, it doesn't matter. Anything that I said, it means nothing to you. Just a bunch of words, some guy standing up here trying to be somebody that everybody likes or loves or whatever. Probably even a hypocrite if you're an unbeliever here. You might be thinking that too as well. But this is important because this is for you. You know, usually we come to church and the pastor preaches a message towards the, the members of the church and we, and we always share a gospel message. And Dan is so faithful in that. And that's such a joy and a, and a pleasure to be part of a church of a pastor who wants to see people saved. But if you're here and you're an unbeliever, meaning you've never truly repented of the sin in your life and are not fully trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation, then you are an alien to God. We're an alien. We as believers are an alien to this land. You are an alien to God. Maybe you've never heard the gospel before. I plead with you to listen now. 
Maybe you're here today because your mom and dad made you come. Maybe you're here because your wife or your husband made you come. Maybe that's the only reason you're here. Maybe you've been going to church your whole life because that's what you do. Your grandparents did it. Your parents, your parents did it. And now you do it. And you're teaching your children or your grandchildren to do it. Maybe that's what you've been doing. And that's a great thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing anyone going to church because that's a very important part in the lives of, of every believer. But maybe all those years you were just playing church. It's easy to do because we're taught to go to church. We're taught to, to, to be with other people that are believers. And we just come and we play church and we're careful because we don't want anyone else to know. We don't want someone sitting next to think, well, what are they going to think if they, you know, if, if someone was to find out I wasn't truly a believer? Don't let that stop you. Maybe you're sitting here and you're going, man, I wish this guy would just shut up. Oh my goodness, I got to get out of here. Maybe you are. Well, this is for you, okay? This is for you. You know, there's a time when we're going to stand before God. We're going to stand before the righteous judge. You see, Jesus in his prayer, he said that my hour has come, right? Jesus knew that his hour had come. It was that moment in time when he he knew he was going to the cross. We don't have that pleasure. We don't have the ability to know. Who here can tell me the day that they are going to die, the hour, the minute? Anybody? Why? Because we don't know. We don't. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, But there's going to be a time when we stand before God. There's going to be a time when we leave this earth. doesn't matter if you're young doesn't matter if you were just born. doesn't matter if you're 75, 90, 100, 5, 4, 3, 6. Look at the world around us. People die every day regardless of age, regardless of gender. Every day. There's a statistic out there that every 1.8 seconds in time, Someone in the world dies. 1.8 seconds. In my sermon here today, 1.8 seconds, 60 times 14 hours is, you know, a lot of people have died. A lot of people have died. Many of them without Christ. Many of them. If you are here and you think, oh, I'm young, I got plenty of time. You better throw that out the window because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not even guaranteed next breath. I could drop dead here on on this platform here. We're not guaranteed. You know, Scripture tells us that once we die and we stand before God for judgment, it's too late. We can't say, oh, okay, well now, yeah, 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 I, I believe you. And saying that you believe him is true. Because 
the scripture tells us that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess Christ Jesus when they're standing before him, but it's too late. We need to confess Christ now. You need to confess Christ now if you are any of these, of any of the people that I've spoke of. Christ came because he loved the people of God. He loved God's people. But why did he have to come? He's God. Because of sin. We all have it. We all have sin in our lives. We can deny it all we want, but the very fact that we deny it, we're lying, so we've committed another sin because we're lying to ourselves. So we've all broken God's law. We've all committed sin. doesn't matter if you're three years old, 10 years old, 100 years old. And God's word says that the wages of sin is death, right? So if, if we die in our sins and God condemns us, it's what we earned, right? That's what we earned. We deserve that because it's what we've earned. It says the wages of sin is death. But God, in his infinite mercy, in his love, knew that there was nothing we could do for ourselves. Nothing. There's no good work. There's no amount of money that we could give. There's no amount of people that we could help that can cause God to overlook our sin. If he did or he could, then Christ would not have had to, to come and be born and live a life here in a world that he was not of. You see, God required obedience in his law, and we broke that. And he said that if we do not repent and put our faith and trust in Christ, then when we leave this place, we are going to be forever in a place called hell. It's a literal place. I know people don't like to hear about it, but it is a literal place. In fact, Scripture speaks of hell many times. So we can't deny its existence. But apart from Christ, you cannot be saved. You cannot save yourself. God sent his son who stepped down from glory. Christ was in heaven with his father. And he laid that down to come and be born a man as a baby. Why? Because the only way he could pay for our sin is to live a life like us as human beings, facing all the daily challenges, all the struggles, all the hurts, all the joys, and everything that goes with an abundant life. And God and Christ did it perfectly. He was without sin, without sin. And we talk about persecution. If anyone did not deserve to be persecuted, it was Christ. He was perfect. He was loving kind, truthful, gentle, strong when he needed to be. And yet, he was killed because of it. Because it was necessary that through him and his death on the cross, we would have hope to be forgiven of our sins. And that's what happened. 
He went to the cross and he took all who believes, he took their sins upon himself because he had none, took it with him to the cross and he allowed himself to be crucified. See, they didn't force him to be crucified. They didn't drag him kicking and screaming to be crucified. He willingly went to the cross because of love. If you don't know Christ in this way and realize that what Christ has done, I pray that you do. I really do pray that you do because we are not guaranteed tomorrow. Now, I can't, lead, I can't say to you, well, just repeat this little prayer. Repeat after me. Everything will be okay. And you can just go on with your life. But if you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus, I would ask that you cry out to him. We're going to take a moment here and spend two minutes. I, don't want, I know I've been taking a lot of time. Two minutes to pray here. But in that time, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you are not, if you have no hope or you don't even know what's going on, take this time to cry out to him. He promises that if you cry out to him, he will hear you. He will save you today. And your life will begin anew from that very moment. doesn't matter your age. I don't care if you've been in church your whole life. I don't care if you open your Bible and it says right there, accepted Jesus October 2nd, 1987. If you do not have the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of righteousness in your life, like we just talked about and read about, we need to examine ourselves. And if we're not truly Christians, come to Christ. He's here for you today. So, we must repent of our sins, trust in Christ and his work on the cross. Christ was crucified, he died, he was buried, and the grave could not hold him down. Jesus conquered death, and he conquered sin. He rose again, witnessed by many, witnessed by many, the living Christ. And he ascended back into heaven in glory to his Father. And he sits there today, and he's interceding for us. On behalf of us, he's going before the Father on our behalf. And if you cry out to him today, he's going to go before the Father on your behalf. So I ask you to please consider everything that I've said with regards to salvation and if you do that, regardless of what happens in this world, regardless of persecution, regardless of the struggles that you have, and regardless of death, you have, should have no fear because we are one with Christ and our Heavenly Father. Repent and believe, and this will be true for you. So I'm going to take a couple minutes and... Maybe you want to pray for somebody that's not saved that you know. Maybe there's somebody sitting here with you in church that's not saved. Pray for them. Pray for them. I don't know if God's going to save anybody here today, but that's up to him, not me and not you. So let's take a couple minutes, 
And I want everyone to just pray for somebody, even if it's for yourself. And if you pray today for Christ to come and be your Lord and Savior, to forgive you of your sins, please don't walk out the door. Stop and come see me if you want. We can talk some more. You can, we can do it privately. You don't even have to let anybody know what's going on. But if you do pray and ask Christ to forgive you and to save you, please come and talk to somebody, okay? Um, and know that we all love you here and Christ loves you. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, merciful God, we thank you. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for saving us, cleansing us in his blood, that we may be made, made clean. Father, I thank you for your word, which teaches us and instructs us in all that you are and all that you require. Father, you sent your son to seek and save that which is lost. Your command was to repent and believe the gospel. And Father, I pray for anyone here today that does not truly know you, that maybe has just been playing church or pretending to be something that they're not, or maybe truly don't know you and have never really heard the gospel before, I pray that you would pour out your spirit of grace upon this room. Lord, that you would open the eyes that they may see Christ today. Humble them, Father. Humble them to the point of repentance, that they would cry out for you. And Lord, let them know that you will not turn from them, but that you would draw them near. So Father, I pray today, for this is, in your word it says that today is the day of salvation. And I pray that it would be so. For someone here today, for someone here today, Lord God, may this be the day they are made new in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for your word that was preached today. Lord, I pray that it was 
edifying and encouraging to your children. Lord, I pray that it, it would inspire us, Lord, to go and preach the gospel, to make disciples, to boldly proclaim your name until you return again. Bless your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.